Welcome to the C.S. Lewis Festival Scholar Series. I'm your host, David Krause. This year's C.S. Lewis Festival kicks off on Friday, September 16th, 2022, at the Great Lakes Center for the Arts with best-selling author Anne Voskamp. It will be followed the very next day at the C.S. Lewis Festival Saturday Seminar, also at the Great Lakes Center. We welcome on Saturday Ann Voskamp as well as author and journalist Carolyn Curtis, along with festival co-founder and best-selling author Sarah Arthur. To learn more, visit our website at lewisfestival.org. Carolyn Curtis sat down for an interview with C.S. Lewis contributing editor and board member Glenn Geisendorfer. They talked about their favorite Lewis book and why his books are so important. What are your favorite Lewis book or books? What is it about an Oxford Don who lived a very cloistered life, yet his influence as a Christian apologist is almost unparalleled in the 20th and 21st century? Please enjoy what is a very enlightening conversation. I thought maybe it would be uh, helpful as we were speaking, uh, if I told something about the premise of Women and C.S. Lewis and what kind of inspired me to write it. Um, I, uh, it, it might be helpful uh, to anyone who ever sees this to know that I'm a journalist. My uh, undergraduate and graduate degrees are in journalism. And so I, the, the mind and kind of attitudes of a journalist uh, always looking for the story and everything, you know, and so forth. Uh, and, and, and I want you to know there's a thing called a nose for news, a nose for news. That is really a thing. So one time I was actually staying at the Kilns, which, as you know, is Lewis's home in Oxford. I've stayed several times, but this on this particular occasion, this thing happened to me, which is kind of weird, but it was actually very useful because it led to the book. <laughs> um, two men I overheard that I knew loved C.S. Lewis were just kind of gossiping about something that was apparently being said, and that was that he didn't have what they thought uh, people call a high view of women. It's kind of a literary term. They, they didn't believe that. They were just sort of gossiping. Have you heard that? That's ridiculous. Yes, I've heard it too. I agree. It's ridiculous. You know, that kind of thing. I was reaching for the creamer for my coffee when I heard this. Well, my nose for news, which as I say, is a thing for those of us who've been journalists. In fact, many of my years were spent on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. as a journalist through four presidential administrations. So I really honed that nose for news quite a bit. Right. <laughs> and I had barely stirred the creamer in my coffee when I thought this should be followed up on with some sort of a book because I just knew it had to be nonsense. I thought about the brilliant women in his life, you know, the woman he married, his own mother, just very, very well educated, spoke many languages. Her college degrees were in mathematics and logic. And of course, we all know about Joy. Goodness, she was his equal intellectually and so forth. And just on and on and on and on and on. One of his very best pals, a real pal, was Dorothy L. Sayers, extremely brilliant. And so I probably had barely drunk the cup of coffee (laughs) 
when I was figuring out, I need to do a proposal about this, send it to my literary agent and see if we can get something going about it. But my real reason wasn't just to defend C.S. Lewis. It was really kind of to defend all people of faith. Mm. Because this was this was just a few years ago when a lot of things were coming out, some of them true, you know, about certain people of faith and so forth um, and maybe deserved. But I could see how that could just become one of those those rocks rolling down a hill, you know, just getting bigger and bigger. I guess a rock wouldn't get bigger and bigger, but moss would. <laughs> so I I wanted to just kind of cut that off at the pass, if you know what I mean. So that really became the motivation for the Women in C.S. Lewis book, which is, you know, what I'll be speaking about at the conference. Well, thank goodness for serendipitous coffee moments. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, that's, well, it's profoundly important, especially in now, these days, carrying our faith through all the changes happening culturally, gender roles, gender identity, all these other things. Oh, yes. And really, it's really about the intellect and the mind and the ra rationalization around it. And we all bear with us the traditions of our generations. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, that's such a good point. Yes. Yeah, but uh, it's so profoundly important right now. And so we hope that we draw this fall a br much broader audience for attendance such that we can expose this thinking and this opinion and, and these, these formulations to perhaps a younger audience a more well-rounded audience so that we can drive hope and meaning and guidance, a little guidance for all these questions that we have yet to answer. I'm so glad you put it that way because one of the things I was just kind of thinking before we began is I hope people don't think there's some weird cult, you know, of C.S. Lewis or something. I mean, yeah. people who appreciate him just appreciate his thinking, his mind, of course, his writings. Uh, we I, we might use the word that we love him, you know, but that's one of those casual words when you when you just are real excited to read someone like that and to learn of someone else who's written on him or or has a new perspective on him. And I just think that festivals like your Michigan Festival are, are just so important. Yes. I mean, this is a gathering place for those kind of people. And uh, I'm, I'm sure the most, you know, listening to someone like me will not be anywhere near as much fun as hallway conversations and conversations over a meal or a cup of coffee or something like that. Yes. Uh, that's okay. the fun of something like that. And it, and it should be fun. In fact, I'll use the word joy. How's that? Yeah, joyous. I love it. That's a Lewis word, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it's funny. They, you know, a, a, a very common question at festivals like this and other gatherings is what's your favorite Lewis book? And goodness, okay, of, of those that are all out there, it's in the moment I pick this for tonight. And it could be oh, any really? other one of his books tomorrow. But honestly, uh, my favorite book, or at least consistently at top, is Between Heaven and Hell by Peter Kreft. And it wasn't a C.S. Lewis book, but it's based, as you know, you've read the book. It's the conversation that Huxley, Kennedy, and Lewis have in the afterlife. What yeah, would one yeah. say to each other about their worldviews? And I just love it because C.S. Lewis can eviscerate you in, 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 in debate, and you'll be smiling as he does it because he does it in such a loving and graceful, obviously, intellectually gigantic way, Oh yes. but you never want to be caught in a verbal alley 
at dark for a while with C.S. Lewis because you're not going to come out. <laughs> That's a good thought. Yes. Yeah. 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 So my 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 favorite roundabout book, rather, is one that basically in an objective way positions his thinking and his intellect among others. And so you can compare and contrast fairly and understand in the end who's going to win in any such debate. Well, I have a Peter Kreft story. Can I just tell you real fast? Oh, I'd love it. He, he spoke at a conference of the Institute of C.S. Lewis, I think, or maybe. He's visited uh, Petoskey as well. Yes, uh, exactly. And he, um, he he spoke, and then I walk up walk up to him afterward. And of course, everyone has a name tag on it, something like that. And he he and I'd never met, but he points at me and he says, "Women in C.S. Lewis," and I said, "Oh, you know the book." He said, I not only know the book, I bought lots of extra copies to give to students of mine and even fellow professors. And that totally made my day. I Isn't mean, that heartwarming? That was, oh, it really, it just really, really was. Oh, that's wonderful. So that was recent. Yes, that, that was very recent. Yes, absolutely. Well, fantastic. That is lovely. Oh, there's nothing like that when people share your work. I know. I know. It. I love it. I love it. So on that, on that note, what... For today, this afternoon, what might be your favorite Lewis book? What tops what tops the list for the moment in the moment? Probably a lot of people say this, but and so this may not be very original, but I'm being authentic. Um, it is screw tape letters. Yeah. I think it is just so extraordinarily clever. Um, it is creative. You know, it, it, who would ever think of such a premise as two demons writing to one another and Inspiring. kind of mentoring the other guy, you know, that sort of thing. It just, it just, it doesn't get any better than that in terms of sort of a, a fantasy thing, but something you really, really learn from. I mean, you take away so much from that. It, it's so much more effective than, say, a book on if you, don't do this or you do do that, then you'll either go to hell or you'll go to heaven or just, this. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> right. talk about, yes, talk about a, a way to get that idea into your head, but make you pay, you know, turn pages just as fast as you can. Yeah, and, uh, and, and ironically with empathy as well, you empathize with these demons and you never thought you would. Yes. But so that's does our true. Lord and Savior. And so that's kind of the lesson that he has. There is a contrast to be had. But then you have to do so with empathy and, and, and some sort of compassion in spite of it. But yeah, so very imaginative that he flips the vantage point 180 degrees. Yes, you look at yes, it entirely different. Yes. He flips it. I love that. I never would, you that. Say, would you say that's been the most influential work for you? Or are there other works of his that have guided you? Oh, my you? goodness. Um, Mere Christianity was really, I think, the first thing I ever read. And uh, I that was when I was, you know, way younger, many years ago, and uh, made a huge impression on me. And it, it really made me want to seek more and more about this man, you know, and what he wrote. But that, that was the starting point for me. I actually didn't get into Narnia until, uh, I don't know, the last 10, 15 years or something. That's okay. Because <laughs> well, you, know, you rediscover it every few years. Children, and what a silly thing. Yeah. What a silly thing. Every adult should be, you know, overjoyed to read it themselves. I've reread it a few times over my life, starting in third grade and then every four or five years <laughs> thereafter. And, you know, it's been significant every time. Yes. Yes. It really has. It never grows old, does it? It never does. Uh, it, although we do, 
the story doesn't. <laughs> that's true. And that's hopefully it. more wise. <laughs> right, right, right. But that's that's his wisdom, yeah, as he can make something yeah. that's so universally approachable. Absolutely. Um, do you have, or did you recall in the note, like a favorite quote of your, of his? I actually do. And I wrote it down because I've been asked this many other times. It's a very common quote, but, um, uh, of his. So I wish I could have thought of something just real unusual and rare, but this has a great backstory to it too. It's the one that says, I believe in Christ. Like I believe in the sun, not because I can see it, but by it. I can see everything else. And this, you know, is the quote that is in Westminster Abbey in the Poets' Corner, where Lewis, uh, and this is courtesy of uh, Dr. Michael Ward as well, he put together the, uh, the ceremony and everything for that, and I think made the arrangements to have the stone and with that quote in it. But that that sort of says it all. It, this, as I say, there's so many quotes to choose from, but I, I had to be authentic and tell you that's mine. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Um, and again, you haven't visited the festival, but maybe we rephrase the question rather your favorite festival moment. And you mentioned the hallway conversations, but what yeah. would you look most forward to for this upcoming festival? It's, it's those one-on-one -on -one moments or one-on-two or one-on-three or something like that, you know, over a meal or over a cup of coffee. Yes. Uh, those are so enriching to me when I speak at any conference I enjoy those so much, but here's something else I enjoy. I always give people an opportunity to ask me questions. And, you know, every now and then I just have to say, gosh, I don't really know the answer to that, or I haven't thought about that much. And there's no reason to just say, sorry, but I'm not prepared to answer that. But most of the questions are things that bring about so much discussion. And, and in fact, sometimes if I don't happen to know the answer, I don't have an opinion, it's usually an opinion question. Right. I'll just ask the audience, what, what do the rest of you all have to say about that? And all of a sudden a conversation emerges. That's right. Isn't that lovely? It starts a big discussion. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, so the, obviously having answered the challenge, the coffee morning challenge, about women and C.S. Lewis, and then prompted to write a book in response. What should I, should I interrupt to tell you something else? Of course. Myself and the president of the C.S. Lewis Foundation, Steve Elmore, are working on the proposal now for a book entitled Men and C.S. Lewis. What do you think about that? Oh, I love it. Point, counterpoint. I love it. <laughs> When is the, when are you looking to have that one published? Do you know, I have an idea. I, I imagine it'll be in 23. Yeah. It takes, it takes a long time to get a book on the market. I mean, yeah. we're in the proposal stage now. That's actually quick. All things considered. And especially well, since you're yeah, retired, yeah, that's I'm being optimistic that yeah, that is quick. Yes. Yeah. That's fantastic. I love it. I love it. Maybe we can plug it at the festival or get the word out. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that would be I'll lovely. Probably, I'll probably mention that once or twice at the festival. You know. Well, so now, <laughs> now that you're obviously you you don't arrive at an idea proposal lightly. There's already with it some opinions and or some research and or some experiences that you're turning to men with C.S. Lewis. Yeah. So having kind of a bicameral approach, 
So women in CSOS, men in CSOS, is there anything that we might be surprised to learn in your discovery, your research, your authorship about C.S. Lewis? My goodness. Um, there are so many things that uh, just since I've been sending out emails and, uh, you know, digging around a little bit about, uh, for example, some of the, the inklings. We, we all think we can name them off and so forth. And uh, yet just this weekend, I got something from a woman who, uh, <laughs> a smart lady, C.S. Lewis people are smart. You know that? Right. And fun. Isn't that funny that those go so closely together? Yeah. She is working on not only a PhD, but an MD. She will become a medical doctor and a you know, doctor of right. philosophy. Yeah. And uh, so she had this wonderful piece that she had done on Dr. Havard, you know, one of the inklings. And uh, it was somebody that's name just doesn't roll off of everyone's tongues. Now, for all I know, maybe a lot of people are aware of him, but she had this piece that goes into a lot of great detail. And she said, do you think you'd like to use this? I said, oh, I think so. Yes. <laughs> 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 Yay. I mean, the Inklings themselves, but, you know, Warney is, is fascinating. Uh, Dr. Don King has a book on him coming out soon. Um, Albert, his father, uh, Dr. Crystal Hurd just had a book on, on him come out. Um, and, and just tons of other, think of all the letter writing he did with Arthur Greaves. Now, that's something men today just kind of don't do. I mean, our idea today of correspondence is texting. You pick up your phone, you text somebody, and you can usually say something, you know, pretty significant on a text. But these guys were pouring out their hearts because that was a form of communication that was just really acceptable and it was really worthwhile. I mean, they probably knew each other a lot better than a lot of men that are friends. Really, they, you know... I mean, if, if you sat down with somebody over a cup of coffee or something like that, now you've gotten to know them. But the correspondence that they did in those days was just so rich with detail and meaning and actually emotion. Can, can we use the E word with men? I hope so. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. I hope so. You're absolutely right. It's just unfound today. Uh-huh. Yeah. That degree of communication and vulnerability that are shared among men. It yes. really is. Unless it's fathers and sons in private moments, but <laughs> often not in written form. Uh -huh. You know, right now it's FaceTime, but nonetheless, there's a yearning, I think, for that kind of sharing and that vulnerability and that transparency and that kind of like formation that happens collectively yes. among women and men, but men especially. And we're ashamed and are afraid to kind of share that, I think. Yes. Yeah. That's lovely. Um, the... Uh, the obviously we have appreciation for the literary arts, the written word, and it's truest, most original formation in the word that is the spirit and the life. And yet, they craft the intellectual uh, discovery, the experience, the the the, the self fulfilling notion of writing, but also the relationship that one forms through writing. Right. All of these things, and one thing I've heard, and I've, I've I've repeated myself that the the for me the word that I would use to describe Lewis, one word that I would use to describe Lewis is adaptable, and that sounds short-serving, but that man could put on 
a literary style or aesthetic and master it in a moment. Yes. And then he could just jump and move into a completely different style and or aesthetic and master that too. Yes. The guy could adapt his intellect and his opinion and his craft to any of the venues that he was challenged with. Right, right. Infinitely yeah. adaptable. And I know very few Picassos that can master the masters in any other form, style, or substance as he had. Is there a... It's funny that he felt he was disappointed because he really didn't become a famous poet. <laughs> Although we, we know a lot about his poetry. We actually do. Yeah. But that was a disappointment to him, which is a very human side of him. Yeah. And yet look at all the prose, I'll call it, just to use the two words that go together, yeah. uh, you know, in, in nonfiction and uh, so forth. Fiction, of course, too. And, and yet in his own, this just shows how authentic he was, that he felt some disappointment because he didn't really become a famous, accomplished poet. That is funny that you say that, but he had, like a lot of poets, he had appreciation for a mouthfeel of words as well. Yes. Not only the symbolism and the imagery that they conjure up, but he enjoyed and delighted in kind of how they sounded. Right. Yeah. You know, and how they were formulated. And that was clear in all of his works, fiction or otherwise, sometimes out of the bounds of poetry, but a lot of his work is very poetic. Yes. Yes. Because yeah. of that, I think. So, uh -huh. so what word would, would you, what, would, what word would then would you use to describe Lewis? I like yours so much better than mine. Mine sounds lame compared to yours. Now I was just going to say fascinating because to me, the more you read him and the more you read about him, uh, it, just the deeper you go, which to me is just fascinating. It just, there's so many sides to him. Um, for the, for the men book, I just, uh, received a lot of photographs from a woman who is in England. Her name is Dr. Jeanette Sears. And she has gone to the places where he recuperated after he was uh, wounded in the war, World War I, of course, and taken photos of them and even taken photos of things around where he would have gone for walks to help recuperate. And from the, the uh, top of the building where the patients would go to get some fresh air and that, and that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think, gosh, this is just fascinating to put ourselves in his recuperation period from, you know, he carried shrapnel in his body for the rest of his life. So he was, he was quite badly wounded. And that's just that tiny detail. Think of all the veterans and, you know, all over the world and so forth, who would realize that and feel that comradeship with him. So as I say, my word sounds lame compared to yours, but I'm still going with fascinating. <laughs> If you can improve on it, give me a better one. You just did. You just did. I love it. I love every minute of that. Thank you so much. I, I am so thankful and appreciative of your time. Grateful for you spending the time with me and with us today uh, for that Thank matter. You. But are there any additional thoughts or uh, ideas or maybe some words you'd like to share before I let you go? Okay. I guess one of the reasons why he is so relatable is he did have flaws that, of course, everyone does. That shouldn't be a surprise to us. But we know about them. I mean, we know about maybe some either kind of missteps or places where he showed uh, discontent with himself personally and some of those things. Uh, that is so fascinating to realize about someone like him. 
I, I will say one other thing. I think we have to be awfully careful not to become sort of, you know, a cult of C.S. Nice. Lewis followers. I mean, uh, that that would disappoint him as much as it should us. But uh, it, to just enjoy him, talk about him, gather, you know, and, and meet other people who enjoy him. Uh, that's a wonderful thing. And uh, that's that's why I'm so excited to come to the Michigan Festival. A wonderful and fascinating thing. I love the word. I'm, I'm going to poach it. Good. Okay. I think it's great. Well, um, again, thank you so much for the time and, and words of all my favorite Texans. I sure appreciate you. I appreciate you too. Thanks for uh, giving me this call. Thank you, Carolyn and Glenn, and thank you for traveling with me on the C.S. Lewis Festival Scholar Series. Please visit our website, cslewisfestival.org, for all of the details for this September's C.S. Lewis Festival. Most of our events are free and open to the public. This entire podcast has been made possible by the C.S. Lewis Festival in Petoskey, Michigan, and its generous sponsors. I'd like to thank the festival as well as podcast producer Zach Smith of Hands Media. On behalf of the Lewis Festival, thank you for listening. Mm